Hey y'all, we're Kristen and Emily. Besties who love talking about female-driven cinema. Come along for the ride as we talk about landmark films with female writers, directors, actors, and producers. We aim to highlight women's stories and the characters they bring to life on the big screen. So buckle up and join us on this female-driven journey. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan. But her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself. He promised to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. For new swan queen, the exquisite Nina Sayers. Lily, you're gonna be amazing. I watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it. Seduces! Attack it! Attack it! Come on! Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl. Hey. Let's do <laughs> Black Swan. I have to say it like that because I'm like, <laughs> my little heart is all shriveled and dead inside. You have to psych yourself I, up for this one? Yeah. Yep. You did. This is funny because I had you in mind when I thought of this movie. Right. <laughs> I thought you were like going it to love right it. up my alley. I thought you were going to love it, and I thought it had everything that you love in it. And I guess we'll get into <laughs> your initial reaction. But, I mean, this movie is definitely... I don't think it, it would be an overstatement to say this is an unforgettable movie. Definitely. Uh, There's it, nothing like it. It really is. It's remarkable and came out, I think, just over 10 years. But yeah, I think it's definitely made its mark. Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, how visceral my reaction was to it. <laughs> yeah. That makes a pretty incredible piece of art. Like, if it, I realized if yeah. it affected me that deep. <laughs> pretty incredible filmmaking so mm -hmm. yeah yeah did you want to read the synopsis so we'll, we'll get started so so yes again we are covering black swan today and i have the stats right here which i shall read black swan was a film that came out in 2010 yeah coming up on 12 years this film was directed by darren aronofsky quite the provocateur i'd say his, his films make a splash for better or worse i i think it's usually for the better mother was like a critical failure and didn't even get a great audience response but can we call it a cult classic because i mother yeah do you think uh i know it has its passionate defenders mm -hmm. and and ardent fans and it might be one of those films that 30 years down the road, people are like, this is genius. But yeah, I, yeah. That's <laughs> well, have you seen Mother? No, but so many people, like when I was doing mm -hmm. a, a hopping around YouTube videos, how many people, like you're right, were passionately defending Mother. So uh, yeah. we'll maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover that one eventually. But yeah, but yeah, Darren, Darren Aronofsky, he's, he's made some very you know successful films. He's had quite the career for a, a relatively young director mm -hmm. so i mean his his more well-known films would be requiem for a dream and then he did black swan he did the wrestler he did mother and noah as well which um 
that might be a little bit surprising, but mm. I, I'm just pulling up his 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 filmography here. So, Pie, 1998, Requiem for a Dream, 2000, 2006, The Fountain, 2008, The Wrestler, 2010, Black Swan, 2014, Noah, 2017, Mother. And his next project is called The Whale, and that one's coming out this year. From what I understand from some interviews that I watch, it seems like Aronofsky, he spends several years preparing, Preparing. researching projects. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't go into any project lightly, and I think... Just thinking of what mother i mean just from the, i've seen bits of mother and i'm like oh i know people there are people who just love it love it so much so maybe i'll change my mind but even right. in even in the interview that i sent you the one that the okay another cancel the figure charlie rose interview that he did with natalie i liked him a lot was charlie rose canceled oh yeah like- Sexual harassment, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, oh yeah, got it. Oh. But this, but the bye, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Mm-hmm. Bye, <laughs> T- Titus. <laughs> but yeah, so Darren and Natalie did an interview with him for Black Swan, and I really liked Darren Aronofsky. I was like, oh, he seems totally. I mean, I was just struck by how normal he seemed because oh, I was, yeah, I was, he was expect- not what I was expecting. No, 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 I was expecting someone like in a black turtleneck you know what I mean like (laughs) I was expecting someone really pretentious and he didn't come off as pretentious to me at all okay I see what you're saying so I was expect so I was like oh he just seems normal but and then I was like I don't think anyone that makes his movies could be normal um (laughs) yeah I think I I, you know this is my first foray into Mm -hmm. his oeuvre (laughs) talking about pretension that's a pretentious word his body my first foray work. into his catalog, and I, I think if I really can psych myself up, I want to give him a chance. I really want to. See I do what too. About. Yeah. I do too. And the fact that Natalie spoke very highly of him in that yeah. interview, she, she apparently had a great working relationship yep. with him, and like seemed they like connected he, as artists. and he treated her with respect. We'll talk more about that because I took some notes on that. Cool. When I, I was like, oh, it seems like she really had a good relationship with him, which is very important. But I was like, oh, I, yeah, I, I thought I, I liked you more than I thought I was going to <laughs> like you. So I guess we got way sidetracked. <laughs> no, I think it's fair to mention, mm-hmm. yeah, he's kind of a polarizing figure. Oh, he is. Yeah, he yeah. definitely is. So we've already talked a lot about Darren. And this podcast is called Female Driven. But I think it is important to talk about the director of this film for sure. Yeah. And his, his working relationship with Natalie Portman, who is the star of the film. But very important here to note. Kristen and I think we'll we'll end up talking a little bit about our credo or at least the one that I <laughs> that yeah. I wrote out in the pod- podcast just just to, so we can talk about what we mean by female driven so far the films that we've covered have been written and directed by women or it had at least one one or two female screenwriters so, so we did Hustlers which written and directed by a woman Lorene Scafaria mm-hmm. we did Portrait of a Lady on Fire with which was written and directed by Celine Siama and then uh, Frida had, so that one was directed by Julie Taymor, and there were like four or five screenwriters, and I think a couple of them were men, and then a couple were women. So still, you know, right. female female voice there, and uh, and you know, obviously Selma Hayek was a producer on that film. But for this one, this one was totally male led, and when I say that, I mean it was directed, written, produced by men exclusively. Right. So we have directed by Darren Aronofsky. Screenplay by Mark Heyman. I don't know how to pronounce this. Andres, Andres, Andres Hines, John McLaughlin or McLaughlin. Story by Andres again. Andres 
Hines, and then uh, produced by Mike Medavoy, Arnold W. Messer, Brian Oliver, and Scott Franklin. So it was written, produced, directed by men exclusively. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, we have our star, Natalie Portman, who we will be definitely talking a lot about because she's just amazing I... in this movie. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. And it couldn't have been made with, they could have done it without her for sure. Oh, yeah. She makes this work. She makes the film. So. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll talk a little bit about, yeah, what does that mean when we have a film? Right. This podcast is female-driven. What happens when we have a film that was, <laughs> what happens when we have a film that was directed, written, produced by men exclusively, right. but about women and starring women? Right, because, I mean, that's something, yeah. as far as, like, uh, telling women's stories, I'm mm-hmm. very wary of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But, Emily, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called you right after... I watched the film and I was just like, <laughs> I had some, I was like, wah! But, uh, uh, you mentioned you're like, I trust Natalie Portman. And that made a big difference for me. I was like, you know what? Like, that's a really good point that she wouldn't get involved in something that she didn't believe in. And mm-hmm. I trust her caliber of acting and her sensitivity to social issues and her intelligence yeah. just in the interviews that i watched with her she's a very intelligent woman yeah she's very thoughtful i think you can tell she she takes her work seriously and she doesn't take on a project unless she really really believes in it and she is she's a feminist she's unapologetic in her feminism right. so i don't think she would have agreed to do this film if she had any reservations about it or felt that it was objectionable in any way you can tell she's very proud of this film and she did end up winning the oscar for it as well so that's right and you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier emily about how the director aronofsky uh treated portman Mm -hmm. really well she and he did yeah in one interview that i listened to that you sent to me she mentioned how, you know, during some of the more vulnerable scenes where she was disrobed. Um, <laughs> I think, now, co- correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was like, yeah, in those scenes, like, do it once and then we're done. You know, he wasn't, yeah. like, taking uh-huh. advantage of her in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. That really uh, made me feel good. Yeah, and she did talk about how that's never comfortable. Like, yeah. yeah and But, yeah, I think he was saying, just do it. You just, you just get it over with, right? And also, he always gave her the last take. That's another oh. thing. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that part of the interview, but yeah, so a couple of interviews which we can link. So we there was they were DP thirty. There was a DP thirty interview with Natalie, just Natalie, and you know, that was the one where the fire alarm kept going off. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, it went off like four times. It's super funny. Well, it seems like Nina's immaturity is central to this character, and oh, and you were so good at set alarms off. <laughs> Wow. Do we have to evacuate the building? Do you think there's a fire? I'm guessing they're run out of vodka or something. I think maybe we should call <laughs> the time. Maybe we should see ask what's somebody. up and then... Let's ask them. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you set off alarm. Intermission. <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> Obviously. Thank you. <laughs> Those the kinds of companies that do emphasize that are keeping <laughs> Marsha Gay Harden like all. I'm sorry. I think I'll put. I'll just make a little compilation on that. Oh, do it, do it. But yeah, she talked about how he 
would always give her the last take and say, just do this one for you. And he said they ended up going with her her take like 70% of the time. Oh, wow. And so she had, we'll talk about it, but she definitely had creative input and control. Yeah. And she was an essential part of the filmmaking process, not just in her performance, but also driving characterization and the choices mm-hmm. she made. I think artistic honesty is the the key. And I mean, Darren is exactly that. And he always had a million different ideas for every scene. And then at the end would always say, do this one for, for yourself, the last one, do it for yourself, which was just exactly the key to the character because it was what Vincent says to, you know, Vincent's character says to my character, which is find your own pleasure, which is at the root of being an artist because you're trying to, so often as an actor, you're pleasing your director. It's like, you know, the kids at the pageants at the end when they like look at their mom right after they finish doing their song. Sometimes you're like that as an actor. You finish the scene, you're like, how was it? You know? And um, and when when they're saying, just do it for yourself, it's a whole new world opens. And and Darren gave that to me because directors often say like, do a freebie or a free one, but just putting those words, articulating it in that particular way, do it for yourself. So if you do it for yourself, are you demanding much of yourself? Oh. So creative decision making. She had a lot of input there, a lot of autonomy, I'd say. So I appreciated that and appreciated that Aronofsky collaborated with her. This is definitely a collaboration. I think it's important to know that this is a collaboration between actor and director here. Uh, I think that's key for like our Mm -hmm. credo. If a man or a a cadre of males is going to tell uh, a story about a woman, that collaboration is essential. For sure. I got a good feeling just from her interview that this was a very positive experience for her and and that her contributions were, were taken seriously. So. She worked so hard. <laughs> she I, did, yeah. Emily, didn't she train in ballet for mm-hmm. like a year plus? I don't call the exact amount of time, but yeah, she really prepared. And she talked about in the interview how she had danced as a girl. So I think mm-hmm. she, she trained in ballet until she was about 12 or so. <laughs> Which is when she became a full-time actress. <laughs> when when she did um, Leon, Leon the Professional, I think she was like 12, right? Wow. I think she must have transitioned from dance to, to acting at that point mm-hmm. in her life at the ripe age of 12. And, you know, <laughs> veteran, veteran actress by... 22 (laughs) which is insane (laughs) and she well she did take a break too she went to yale was it Um, or harvard uh yeah one of the one of the ivy leagues but yeah yeah. but she she was an old pro at that point she had been working in the industry from the time she was 12 and i definitely want to talk about that like when we start talking about the casting of this film Mm. and how meta it is (laughs) but yes yeah. Yeah, she she worked very very hard to to prepare for this part and she was so excited about it and I think he had approached her I think when she was like 20 with this idea mm-hmm. but it didn't come to fruition until years later. So I think right. I think she was like 29 at the time the film was released. So I I don't think he came back to her with a script until I think she was like 27. Yeah, so I think she was like 27. Yeah. 27 and the film came out so it would have been like 2007 I mm-hmm. I, I want to say. 2007 2008 when he came to her again with the script and was at that point serious about shooting the film i think he mentioned his sister was is a dancer or was a dancer Mm -hmm. she was able to inform him about Mm -hmm. some of the daily life of being part of a company and things she was kind of his entree into into ballet in new york i think like city ballet and so that was probably really really important but 
Anyway, I, I, we didn't even get through the, all the stats. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So this movie. Okay. So this movie was, it premiered as the opening film at the 67th Venice International Film Festival on September 1st, 2010. And then it had a wide release on December 17th, 2010. That's when it came out. Uh, very well received. Made a great deal of money. Made on a very small budget of $13 million, And it grossed $329 million Holy worldwide. Cow. A lot of money. Wow. And again, I, I already mentioned... You know, the director, screenplay, story, the producers, and then our cast, I should say. It's Natalie Portman, Vincent Cassell, Mila Kunis, Barbara Hershey, and Winona Ryder. And then the, um, and of course, there's there's more to the team than that, obviously, but those are like the bare bones stats yep. of this. And then, it, yeah, it did very well critically, and Natalie won her first Oscar. Oh, so well-deserved. She's so good, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Natalie said... In an interview that the first time she watched the completed film was at that premiere. Ooh, can you imagine? Yeah. And her parents were like right behind her. Oh, she said. She was yeah. like, it was awkward. <laughs> certain, certain scenes were mm-hmm. awkward, let's just say. You know, I think this movie was so much about how to, when you be, to, in order to become an artist, you have to find pleasure yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to please yourself and not be in service of other people, not be pleasing other people all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and I thought it was really necessary to show her discovering that, discovering how to please herself. And I, I believed in those scenes. They were not comfortable to shoot. They were not comfortable to watch with my parents. <laughs> but so good. And my parents are really cool. So <laughs> Yeah, and uh, her mom was like, next time, your, your next film, let's do a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then didn't she do like... Didn't she do like a rom com with Ashton Kutcher or something? Was that oh, after this or I before? Don't know. But she did that one that it was it was funny because it was identical to another movie that I think was Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. Oh, was wow. it? Yeah, but they were like the same where it was they were trying to be friends with benefits, and then it didn't work. Oh. That, okay, that makes now, sense now for the time period. Okay, too, let's like, can we go down the this let's go down this Let's go. Hole. Let's do it. So wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, 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 wait. But it was Natalie. Let's see, Ashton Kutcher. I mean the web. I think Hollywood gets pretty incestuous after a while because she made the, so Natalie makes this movie with Ashton, who is now married to Mila Kunis. <laughs> and, oh my um, gosh, yeah. But okay, so yeah. All oh, right, okay, so and yeah. That was the one after this, Kristen. Hey. Natalie did No Strings Attached, which was a, a rated R romantic comedy. So those are pretty rare in 2011. So yeah, maybe she took her mom up on her advice. <laughs> yeah. uh, what is even this? What What is this? What? 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 What is this? <laughs> what? Had, man, look at the range. Like the other Bolin girl. Oh my god! Right? Like a drama. We've got uh-huh. Star Wars. Oh my god! Which I have to <laughs> shout out, like. I was in sixth grade when episode one came out. That was like 1999? 99 or 2000, I think. Okay, okay. And she was Princess Amidala, and her her double was Keira Knightley. Yeah! (laughs) Oh, like, that's so crazy to think about. They do. Well, they look She was my hero. Like, I was her for Halloween. Like, Mm-hmm. I think about a young girl seeing a queen of a planet, you know, in this world yep. and like going on this adventure and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh, she just made such an impression on me. Oh, um, yeah, I, Emily, I'll dig up that 
Halloween photo. And oh, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, then you can post it on the Instagram. Oh, good idea. Oh God, you yeah, should. Yeah. Okay, we're on our stupid rabbit hole. So, so No Strings Attached came out in 2011. Do you want to hear this synopsis? Because it makes me kind of want to throw up a little bit. Please do. Please do. Okay. Lifelong friends Emma, Natalie Portman, and Adam, Ashton Kutcher, take their relationship to the next level by having sex. Afraid of ruining their friendship, the new lovers make a pact to keep things purely physical, with no fighting, no jealousy, and no expectations. Emma and Adam pledge to do whatever they want, wherever they want, as long as they do not fall in love. The question then becomes, who will fall first? Oh, oh, that's <laughs> kind of cute. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate it. Why does it's it make not wanna, your movie at all. Why does it Emily make me want to throw up? I don't, <laughs> I, maybe because, like, does this happen in real life? I don't know anyone who's definitely... in this romance trope for this is sure. like it's just yeah it just feels like live action fan fiction mm-hmm. uh, is that why i don't like it because uh, <laughs> it's so stupid to be like like Who how can fall well how can you make a pledge to do that i don't understand like you're right it is a trope and sometimes you just have to say this is a trope and this is what we're doing <laughs> no one no one's saying this is realistic this is just for fun yeah so it got um the rotten tomato score is 48 percent and the metacritic was 50 and then a very, very similar movie with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis was called Friends with Benefits. So, I mean, very oh, creative title there. Right. <laughs> but, um, that parallel. That one also came out in 2011. Oh, my God. That's gosh. crazy. That cannot be a coincidence. That one actually did better critically. I got a 68 Rotten Tomato, a 63 Metacritic. And would you like me to read the synopsis of this one? Of course. Okay. Jamie Mila Kunis. I cannot imagine Mila being named Jamie in real life, but okay. <laughs> is a New York-based executive recruiter, so she's a headhunter, who entices Dylan, another stupid name, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, <laughs> an art director. Okay, I cannot take Justin Timberlake seriously in any context, so imagining him playing an art director, I'm just like, no. He's an art director from Los Angeles. Oh, so it's like East Coast, West Coast. Oh, God. Ah, She's enticing him to take a job at the New York office of GQ. Finding that they have much in common, the two become fast friends. Feeling jaded by a number of broken romances, Dylan and Jamie decide they are ready to quit looking for true love and focus on having fun. However, complications unfold when the two best pals add sex to their relationship. Well, it kind of sounds like the same movie. It does. It's just one of those, like, quick rom-coms between, like, big projects. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they both did. It's Mila... And, and Natalie both did the same movie after Wild. after they did Black Swan together. And like you've mentioned too, they were both child stars. Mm-hmm. It's so meta. It really yeah, is. Yeah, because you're saying the casting was kind of on the nose there. Very, very much. So wait a second. Did we even? Did I even say? Did I even give a synopsis of Black Swan? Did you? <laughs> I don't uh... know if I did. I don't. Know. <laughs> this is kind of a mess. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So I did all the stats. Okay. So the. <laughs> I mean, if you're still listening. Uh... <laughs> okay. The synopsis of Black Swan, on IMDb is a committed dancer struggles to maintain her sanity after winning the lead role in a production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Yeah, I think a lot of people went to see it thinking mm-hmm. it like. I mean, my impression was like, oh, the kind of dark ballet movie. Yeah. But it's it's not. It's a it's, psychological thriller. Yes, it's, it's a horror film. I'd it's, say uh, it's uh, it messes with you. Like uh, there's all kinds of interpretations you can take from it. 
For sure. And Portman said that's kind of on purpose. Like, any interpretation you make is valid because it's left ambiguous. Mm -hmm. So, that you know, the audience, you're kind of like, wait, what's real and what isn't? And she said for her, she was like, oh, it was easy for me because it was all real to Nina. Well, he just asked me, he just asked me to decide, make a decision Mm. about everything. Is it real? Is it a dream? When do I believe it? When do I question it? He didn't ask me to tell him. Mm -hmm. Um, He just said, you just make a decision, Hmm. which is absolutely the truth. You always have to decide what your character's thinking. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's relatively easy because I basically believe everything that's happening is true at the time. (laughs) It's the audience that's like, I don't really know if she's hallucinating or not, but I believe it all. So right, she's yeah. like, that's the choice I went with in every take was that it was real. And I was like, oh, good for you. Good, good thinking, Natalie. <laughs> she just simplified it. She's like, yeah, well, for her, everything is real. So, mm-hmm. right. God, she's so good at this. She's so good. I think I love this movie. I don't know when I'll watch it again, but I think I, I did. I think this is a great, I think it's a great film. Yeah, it, it's a work of art, but yeah. I... <laughs> I was not expecting to be, like, I was so emotionally attached to Nina's journey and her well-being, like, Mm -hmm. too much. So, yeah, it was really helpful. Like I was saying earlier, like, when I called Emily, I just had to be like, I hated it. Like, I did. I was so, like, triggered by it. Yeah. (laughs) Something you said that was helpful to, like, get me, like, a little more unattached from Nina was just to be like, everything that happened in that movie was, like, contributing to her journey and so that movie's really about her journey and i was seeing it more as like problems you know systematic problems sexual (laughs) harassment in the workplace yes oh yeah speaking of emily i watched um Mm -hmm. oh let me look it up i took a screenshot but i watched a movie reviewer's reaction to the film of him watching it for the first time it really helped me like laugh at myself <laughs> let me see his name because i gotta shout i gotta shout him out uh brandon likes movies i think i know who that is have you seen i've never seen anything by him One hundred thirty-three thousand subscribers i think i've seen him but he does it's, it's usually funny right yeah so just watching him react to like this serious stuff where he's like whoa dude i did not see that coming <laughs> I, yeah, 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 yeah 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 his tone like really helped me mm-hmm. like ground my emotions a little bit yeah. more um, well there are very disturbing scenes in this yeah and for sure like when i watch this again i think i'll just fast forward through vincent cassell because <gasps> he just grosses me out he's such oh. a creep i think that's a testament to how great vincent cassell is as an actor yes Um, he's a terrific he's a terrific actor and he's so interesting looking Um, he is and i think he usually does play i think he tends to play villains i mean with that with that face like how could he not (laughs) (laughs) i think he's the antagonist in the second of the uh, oceans movies remember the oceans movies yeah yeah he's in i remember him flipping Mm -hmm. through like the laser grid yeah, oh, yeah that's so weird that memory yeah. just like rocketed he's the, into he's my mind the antagonist in that and then he was i know he's done a lot he's a french actor he's probably done some very excellent french films that i'm not familiar with but mm. i'm just thinking of like more of the mainstream american films he's done so yeah the oceans movies and then he he was the bad guy in the last of the born movies that came out that wasn't very good but the last okay. one that came out he was the the bad guy in that one and mm. so yeah he just plays villains really well i think and so he was so good in this, but again, so repulsive. Just... Oh. Yeah, you warned me. You're like, just to let you know, he's supposed to be like this. <laughs> he's supposed to be disgusting. Yeah. I mean, the way I, the way I look at it is like, 
when you called and you were so upset, um, I was like, well, if you take it literally, then this is extremely upsetting to think of a dancer being sexually harassed by her company director. Yeah, and I'm sure that does happen, which Mm -hmm. is distressing and unacceptable. But the way I looked at it was you can read the film literally, approach it going, I'm going to perform like a textual analysis of this film, like what is just the text. And I was thinking, I think the reason it didn't upset me as much was I I was looking at it at a thematic level where Mm -hmm. it was just like, okay, what is this movie about? What are the themes here? And I think I think I just saw everything in it as a metaphor where this really this whole film is really I feel like it's taking place in Nina's head. I think Mm. every figure around her represents something and and serves as a catalyst for her. If you look at how everyone is credited in the film. They're all credited as more than one character. So Natalie in the cast is credited as Nina Sayers slash White Swan slash Odette. Mila Kunis is Lily slash Black Swan slash Odile. Vincent Cassell is Thomas Leroy slash The Gentleman. So the, uh. the, <laughs> the evil sorcerer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then Bar- Barbara Hershey is the queen. Wow. And then Winona Ryder is Elizabeth Beth McIntyre slash The Dying Swan. And Bar- wow. Yeah, like I said, Barbara Hershey, Erica Sayers, the Queen. So everyone is, rep- they all represent something to mm-hmm. Nina, right? For me, I thought Mila really represented, well, let's start with Vincent Cassell. So I, for me, he really represented intrusive sexuality uh, ah, for her. Yeah. Because his advances are unwanted. She's she's repulsed by him, I'd say, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> when he forces himself on her and, and when he kisses her and she bites him. And I was like, good for you. <laughs> and I think Mila Kunis kind of represents the the sexual side of Nina that she's really trying to repress, I mm, think. Mm-hmm. Because it's pretty clear that she's very attracted to Lily from the beginning, I'd say. Yeah. And then her mother, I would say, represents... I think she represents another oppressive force. Yeah, keeping her a little girl. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about her character, Nina, coming into her own. Mm-hmm. And embracing all parts of herself, including her her sexuality, which I think represents more broadly adulthood. It's kind of an easy metaphor, right? That sexual maturity equals <laughs> um, adulthood. Ad- adulthood, but I think that I think it does. I think it, even Natalie talks about this as a movie about a girl becoming a woman, and so becoming I think an artist. Yeah, becoming an artist, and 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 she talked again about how nina learning to to take pleasure for herself was key in her becoming a woman and an artist like in her own right Mm -hmm. and then learning to please herself literally and you know like sexually and (laughs) then also artistically so it's a movie about her coming into her own and these other characters represent uh, catalysts to that well i think i mean vincent cassell and barbara hershey they're really kind of these oppressive forces but you know i think mila's character lily really is a true catalyst into her embracing her sexuality oh, and yeah. and coming into her own and embracing like the black swan, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that was all so well put, Emily. I think the thematics is where the power of the film lies. Like, yeah, that's a really uh, a beautiful way to put it. I'm so glad you said that because yeah, I I just mostly felt the distress the first when I watched it. A lot of it is extremely upsetting to watch. Right. Like, before you watch it, I was like, there are things that will make your stomach turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the nails and the, oh! Uh, uh. The skin ripping. Yeah. And, again, it just makes you think, like, okay, well, what's actually happening here? Is this really happening? 
I mean, I, yeah. I, I, at no point was I like, yes, yeah, she's literally growing feathers. But <laughs> right, like, right, right. Some, of, some of the other stuff, I was like, wait, is this happening? Like, does she compulsively scratch herself like that? And then even the, like, ending. Like, I mean, you and I were both uh, on the same page where it's like, there's no way she actually stabbed herself because she couldn't dance like yeah, that. No <laughs> way. You couldn't even lift your arms above your head. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> And, you know, and Natalie said her Natalie's official take is that Nina doesn't die at the end because the whole movie you're questioning whether or not what you're seeing is actually happening. So the very last shot of the film or the last, you know, 30 seconds is her. She's like landed on the mattress. Mila Kunis, and she's sort of in ecstasy. Right. And um, yeah. And then Mila Kunis runs over and is like, oh, my God, you know, and she's bleeding everywhere. And then uh, Vincent Cassell is like, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, is this just not happening? I know. I, I've, I've been pondering on that myself. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely think there was something wrong with her. But I pictured it more as her being almost, like, comatose. Just being, like, catatonic. And then being like, yeah, like, oh, thanks, yeah. that's the word. Being like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> um, and Natalie yeah. mentioned in an interview, too, how, you know, some of that blood for the effect from mm-hmm. her stab wound was spilled on her tights. And she mentioned to Aronofsky, like, this looks like a period. And he's like, that's intentional. You know, at the end of the movie, when they put the blood on me, because mm-hmm. I'm got on my tights, and I was like, Darren, this looks like a period. I, you know, this is, and he's like, that's intentional. She's becoming a woman. And then mm-hmm. I understood everything, that she had to kill, she has to kill the little girl mm-hmm. to become the woman, to become the artist. Oh. She's coming to womanhood i didn't vibe with me so much as like <laughs> killing your inner child to become like that's definitely an artistic interesting take um and so like like visceral to see yeah literal yeah. blood at and... least for the character so i have to keep i keep making it personal and i have to keep yeah. <laughs> pushing it back onto and what the does character. it represent like what does it yeah. represent that last Oh, I love that entire last, like, 10 to 15 oh, minutes. It's so beautiful. powerful. Breathtaking. And mm-hmm. I think, what is the last line? It was perfect. I was perfect. Yeah. And this, if she did die, I, she died happy. Yeah. Like, and she she fulfilled her life's purpose. She was perfect. And she would have died happy, I think, at that, at that moment. Right. And it that's another theme worth mentioning is the pursuit of perfectionism. Oh. It's all-consuming and oh, yes. won't pay off. Like, it'll... It, she did it she pursued perfection until it killed her and yeah. was it worth it and i'd say for her absolutely <laughs> for that character yeah she Nina was, would have she would have oh, she would have happily died that's like what that. drove her the whole yeah. film and that that yeah. was emotionally uh difficult for me too because i mm-hmm. i have anxiety i suffer mm-hmm. from perfectionism for sure mm-hmm. and part mm-hmm. of that as emily and i have mentioned before is being raised in a fundamental religion that was really damaging and uh-huh. so just seeing that play out in front of me was like my life was going mm. that direction to some mm. extent you know like mm. i was killing myself to be perfect quote unquote yeah so that was uh that was hard to watch understandable it felt yes it felt so emotionally like triggering for me and maybe yeah maybe that's a good thing like to, almost like a cautionary tale the despair that comes with the story <laughs> oh it's just heavy yeah. so just t- keep that in mind if this is your first time watching the film and that you might have a completely different experience i mean her last line is perfect i was perfect yeah. 
but we know she made mistakes. She, she there's fell. that there's that funny part. Well, I don't. You didn't think it was funny, but I did when <laughs> when her dance partner, who I think is her her real life husband, yeah, they met on this film. She she starts hallucinating, and I don't know what she does, but he ends up dropping her. But mm-hmm. it was it was her fault because she right. I don't know what she did, but. He dropped her and is like, what the fuck? (laughs) So that was a big mistake for her to make. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, that wasn't a perfect performance. But for her, it was. She became the black swan. And so it's just it raised this question of, well, what is perfection then? Like, what's artistic perfection? Mm. Or for me, because of this was more a story of it was more her journey of this woman completely embracing herself. Perfection just means like wholeness. She is her whole self in that moment. Love that. Yeah, so she's mm. she's the white swan and she's the black swan. She's both. She's, yeah. She's embraced all different facets of herself, her sexuality, and what sexuality represents in this film. So in that sense, she is perfect in that moment. She's oh, become I like her, that. She's, but, you know, a dark reading of that is she's become her whole self, but she's At literally destroyed. <laughs> she's destroyed herself in the process where it's like, you know, like in real life, if I acted on every dark impulse, that would be bad for me and for everyone else in my life <laughs> so it's not necessarily good to embrace all, all of the darkness in yourself is it but yeah just as an artistic foray exer- exercise yeah, yeah. like a, just you know an artistic exploration of that idea of embracing yeah. the, all of the different facets of yourself i found very fascinating let's just say mm-hmm. in this movie so yeah it was this question of like okay what is perfection what does it mean to, to nina to be perfect I think if Nina could choose to die at any time in her life, it probably would have been then. Because oh yeah, I mean this movie. Another theme of it with this meta casting is that you will always be replaced. Well, it was really interesting. The first conversation Darren and I sat, had in in two thousand, um, he said to me, "It's going to be um, about the ego and and sort of how you know you start you know feeling the threat of the." least different you know that threat of the least different person the person who could most replace you um when your ego sort of gets out of control because i remember you mentioned the double um which is a dostoevsky's the double was a big early influence um and and that was um uh just really appealing to me because again that's really the world of women i mean where you're so easily replaceable you hit a certain age and there's someone waiting to take your spot who's younger younger than you younger thinner prettier and you know more appealing like there's always someone right yeah younger and in in the ballet world better stronger Mm -hmm. more attractive in their prime in their prime so you're really only on top for a very brief brief amount of time before you're replaced because there's always it's either there's someone coming up behind you everyone is trying mm-hmm. to supplant you nina goes <laughs> to visit winona Ryder's character in the hospital oh yeah and she's yeah. so tearful and she's like i know what it feels like now what are you doing here i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i know how it feels now she's trying to replace me what do i do Just trying to be perfect like you. I'm not perfect. I'm nothing. 
There's always someone, always someone ready, eager, trying to displace you. And it's not personal. It's just that they want to be the best. All of yeah. these women want to be the absolute best. So you, you're either trying to be the best or you are the best and you're trying to, to make sure that no one, no one dethrones you. Either way, you are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Should we talk about the meta nature of that with this, this casting? Oh, sure. Yeah. When I was watching this, I was just really appreciating all of the women in it. And, you know, this takes place in the ballet world. But at this meta level, it's, it's also about these women, these actresses. And like Natalie said, this is a female art form. Ballet really is. Right. I mean, you know, we had like, I think there was a time when the male ballet dancers were the international stars, which was like, what, Barishnikov, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, by and large, this is a female art form. Mm. And Natalie said it really is. Prima ballerinas. That's what you think of when you think of ballet. The prima ballerinas, right? But, as you know, Natalie said, it's this female art form, but it is kind of male male dominated yeah. in that in that the artistic directors of these companies are often men right and you know like ballet is a very old art form but you know all mm -hmm. of the the old old choreographers the ones that you know these ballerinas are still performing this choreography today for for swan right. lake they were men oh rabbit hole again i don't know if we'll keep this in but okay so long ago there was on pbs there was this series called oh god i forgot but I think it was like painting with Sister Wendy, who was this amazing nun. She was a hermit that lived. She was um, a, an English woman, but she was this hermit who she's no longer with us, but she lived to be very, very old. Mm. But she was this expert on art. Like I think Western art and painting specifically, but all kinds of art. She knew oh, like wow. everything about art. Mm. And she did this series with PBS on, I think it was like the world of painting or something. But she talked about Degas, and he loved to paint ballerinas. Right. Degas was deeply contemptuous of women, which is strange, seeing that he painted them obsessively all his life. And he's best known for his pictures of the ballet dancers at the Paris Opera. And wouldn't you think that it would be the stars that he'd be interested in? Not at all. It was the chorus. And then one remembers with a shock that the Parisian name for these little dancers was the rats. And you look again, and you see the only fully realized person there is Monsieur Perrault, the male. And isn't he standing there rather like an animal trainer? Not one of these little dancers comes across as a personality. Great body language, yes. He's rarely looked at them. He's seen how tired they are, how bored, how some are showing off to Monsieur Perrault, but he doesn't look with sympathy. He sees just the bodies. And I say to myself, I don't know, but I really like you, Degas. When Natalie started talking about how this is this female art, but it's male-driven in many ways, and, you know, the artistic directors being men, Sister Wendy talked about Degas, who was quite misogynistic, but his favorite subject was the ballerina. Mm, right. And, and she talked about the way he often framed the ballerinas are often like he'd have the the dance master right in the center a man and then these oh. women all kind of identical and they were even referred to and i don't know what the french word was but as mice or rats really the dancers these these ballerinas right wow. so they were not regarded with respect let's oh just gosh. say yeah 
And Natalie said that even today, again, has this changed in the last 10 years? I don't know. But the dancers are referred to as girls. Like, it doesn't matter. They could they could be in their mid-30s. And, you know, I don't think prima ballerinas, that these established artists, right. like Svetlana Zakharova, who I, who I definitely did research into after watching this film. Oh, cool. I don't, I don't think they're referred to as girls. But, like, the core. These could be women who are, like, 35, 40, have been dancing forever, and they're still referred to as girls. It's... I thought it was really clever of Darren to set the film in the ballet world because I feel mm-hmm. like it's so can stand in for sort of the larger world for women, mm-hmm. um, you know, where it's sort of this, it's a female art um, mm-hmm. ballet, but yet it's largely male dominated. Um, you know, the directors of the companies, um, the big companies are often men and um, they keep the women as little girls. They refer to them as kids, as mm-hmm. girls. And they keep them having those skinny bodies, which I always thought was just an outcome of dancing that much. But mm-hmm. I realized it was actually from deprivation. You know, they, if there are some companies that don't emphasize thinness mm-hmm. and their dancers have busts and <laughs> hips and are, you know, muscular mm-hmm. and beautiful and thin, but, um, you know, not that sort of waifish mm-hmm. thing that we usually associate with ballet. So, so the kinds of companies that do emphasize the um, the thinness are really keeping women as little girls. Yep. That but I was like, how meta of that? Up. And then compare that to like Hollywood, right? Mm, Where yeah. com- you know, I think the majority of our producers, directors are men. Mm-hmm. And the competition that was naturally going to arise between not just actresses, but actors as well. But it's just this industry that... It can't exist without competition, right? Right. Because there are only so many parts. And how many, Ooh, like, hundreds yeah. of thousands of aspiring young women, you know, head to Hollywood you know, trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And and with the industry being what it is and the world being the way it is, I think it's probably worse for women with the emphasis on youth and beauty, for sure, on, on young women. So, yeah. So Natalie, again, Natalie's been acting since she was, like, 12. She's a pro. <laughs> you know, she was yeah. she was a pro as a child. And Mila Kunis also, I think, had been acting for a long time. I remember she played a young Angelina Jolie. Really? Yeah, and in Gia. So that was a movie yeah. about the supermodel Gia. That I think that was an HBO film. But so she's again, she's been at it. And then of course she was on that '70s show. Right. So she's been acting forever as well. And then we have Winona Ryder, who was the it girl mm-hmm. of the late '80s and early 90s. to mid-90s, would yeah. you say? Yep. Like, the biggest star. Who could we compare her to now? I think Jennifer Lawrence would have been, but even Jen- Jennifer Lawrence is, I don't think she is the it girl at this point. Is there even anyone to compare with know. her? Maybe not in the acting world. I don't think so. I'm think thinking, like... Pop music. In pop music, like Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande. Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, I don't know if we can even compare... I don't think there's an actress who can compare to what Winona was. Yeah. I really don't think so. We have the rising generation of young actresses. Maybe Saoirse Ronan? I was going to say Saoirse, but she, okay. she has a different vibe from, yeah. from Winona, I'd say. The first one that comes to mind is Saoirse and Florence Pugh. I, <gasps> I, I love her. <laughs> I know. I feel like Florence is her generation's Kate Winslet. Mm, yeah, I like, like the, this, this upcoming generation, the next generation of great actresses. Yeah. But Winona, I mean, she was like 
the most famous Zendaya, actor. maybe? Oh my gosh, it's I'm embarrassed. The... I, I feel like, how do you say her name? I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know if it's Zendaya or Zendaya. I don't know. Is it Zendaya I'm embarrassed. Zendaya? Well, we're kind of like. She might be she's more of a She's a Zoomer, right? And we're millennials. So. Like, yeah. I'm not as hip <laughs> to. I, she's probably. Yeah. Right? I think she's probably the closest. Yeah, Winona was like the most famous actress in in the world mm-hmm. um, for a time. But of course, eventually, she kind of fell from grace. She did. She, you know, with this, the shoplifting incident, which I feel like if that had happened today, no one would bet an eyelash. Know, nobody <laughs> would care. Right. That, that really tanked her career for a time. Mm-hmm. Just this casting, very pointed casting of Winona as, as the prima ballerina of this company who is being forced into retirement is that yep. fair to say mm-hmm. definitely she's she's aging out she's a dying swan it's very self it's very self-referential i wonder how weird it was for her like no, like to do this part I, i'm just trying to picture the conversation Aronofsky had. had with her mm-hmm. like convincing her winona was a really it's a very interesting role because she plays this um dancer who's being pushed out at the you know, glorious age of 35 because, <laughs> because the young. new young one's coming in, <laughs> right. you know, and I thought the meta casting idea of a, um, which is sort of happening because Winona 10 years ago probably would be doing this type of role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also it helped me because I, I needed to communicate to the audience that it was a star. And so when you see Winona's face, you go, she's kind of iconic in many yeah. ways. Um, and so she was willing to do it, take a small role. And it was really flattering to be on the front end of, Winona Ryder's second chapter of her career because I think mm. it's going to start for her again. You do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was incredibly pleasant and supportive and good. Mm. She just acted her butt off for me. So Maybe it was reflecting some of her feelings. I don't know. Maybe she was like, this is cathartic. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> right. I don't know. And she's really good. I mean, she isn't in it a whole lot. She yeah. is. When she and confronts Natalie and she's so angry, I was like, I'm scared of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear you're leaving the company. What'd you do to get this role? He always said you were such a frigid little girl. What did you do to make him change his mind? Did you suck his cock? Let all this have to. <sighs> you fucking whore. You're fucking little whore. Whoa, what's going on here? Hey, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. No, don't you do that. Don't you disgust me like that. I just think about now, too, how Winona's had a comeback with Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. I think the industry is changing as far as, like, uh, the shelf life. Of an actress. Yes. Of women, for sure. Thankfully. But Mm -hmm. I think it's still very poignant commentary. Oh, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, even tying in with the perfectionism theme, like, you can give your everything to this industry and it will leave you. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. It won't protect you. Nope. You'll give everything and it's... Mm -hmm. Here's your pink slip. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're putting you out to pasture at 35 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
Oh, boy. So, yeah, there's the metacasting there. Natalie and Mila both having acted from a very young age. And Winona, too. She was you know, active as a teen. Mm-hmm. And then even Barbara Hershey. She was I don't this... know a lot about her. Well, have you seen Beaches? No, I haven't. Oh, Kristen, that is, like, one of the, like, that is, like, I mean, we're going to have to cover it on this podcast, but. Cool. <laughs> Essential viewing, I'd say. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, she, that's the only thing I really know her from. But mm. I think she had success uh, as an actress in the 80s and 90s. And then as she aged, you know, the industry kind of pushed her out into the margins, right? Mm. Which it tends to do with especially women as they you know, get into their late 30s or, you know, right. 40s. That I think that casting was very mindful casting. And, and again, with Natalie her character Nina and her relationship with her mother. You said originally that would have been the movie you wanted to see. Yes, I wanted to see the movie of just that relationship yeah. between the two of them. It's, a comp- it's like a competition between it's, them. Yeah, it's so nuanced. And, you know, the mother represses her so much, keeping her as this young girl. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about, too, how some people think or wonder maybe yeah. if the mother was sexually abusive or not. Yes. Yeah, when you mentioned that when mm-hmm. you called me, I was like, you are not the first person who has theorized that yeah. that, you know, that was what was going on. Yeah, it's definitely so. just an interpretation. And so who you knows, meant, but Yeah, cuz you mentioned something that stuck out to you was Nat, you know, Natalie's character Nina, I think yeah, she's like in her late 20s and she's still living at home and her room is very much like a child's room. Yeah, the stuffed animals. Right? Yeah, it's pink. And then her, her like, and then Barbara Hershey's character of the mother, she, like, tucks her in at night. She, like, winds up her little music box. Yeah. And then she, she took her earrings out for her. Like, yeah. It's too much. And... It's so creepy. And then there's no lock on the door, right? Yeah. I think you said. And that was what you found very disturbing. Yeah. Like, there's absolutely no separation. No, no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, Nina gets that pull from the utility room in her complex and uses it to bar the door, that just <laughs> gave me vibes of, like, sexual abuse. But, I mean, it plays on many levels of just yeah. no boundaries between No boundaries. I mean, I knew, I know of people. Did you ever know kids growing up who their punishment was that their parents would remove the door? <laughs> yeah. Was that a, like a 90s thing? I, I it could have been. But yeah, I. so I'm like, it's not necessarily an indication of sexual abuse. But like that right. was more of like a short term punishment. Whereas this was like, no, you have no lock. But I did, Kristen, I did work for this woman who told me that she and her sisters, their parents wouldn't allow them to have the doors closed ever. To wow. Their homes. Wow. Yeah, they weren't allowed privacy. And I, I, you know, yeah, I I don't think she was being sexually abused. (laughs) Right. I mean, you could definitely read it that way. And also the fact that, you know, Nina's a grown woman. She's like in her Mm -hmm. late 20s and then she's still kind of living like this. Well, yeah, and you remember Mm -hmm. Nina was, uh, Mm -hmm. she was starting to explore herself, like starting to masturbate. And Mm -hmm. uh, she's really getting into it. And then she looks over and her mom is sleeping in the chair (gasps) by her bed. That was maybe the most terrifying moment of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Nina's terrifying. Nina's and slips under the covers like, oh, shoot. Like I kind of laughed. <laughs> so there are moments in this movie that I think are funny. That's a moment where it's shocking and upsetting, but also kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> just the way the camera is. It's like a horror just, movie, like a jump scene. Yeah, it does. Scene. Yeah. yeah it, it's a jump scare. Just like, oh, my God, the mom is in the room while she's masturbating. <sighs> 
and close to climax I was like oh yeah. my god and immediately just feeling can you even imagine like, I know I know <laughs> definitely plays I mean it speaks to the sexual repression of Nina, yeah that sure. and then when she tries again she tries to touch herself in the bath and she sees herself drowning herself doesn't she I or, was I that her does she see her was mom? that Natalie that was drowning herself her mom. I can't tell though because oh, it's so yeah. quick um and in the scene where she's having sex with Mila Kunis, and Mila Kunis transforms oh, yeah. mm-hmm. into—it's not Natalie though. Yeah, it's something weird. I—it's something. I it's tell. someone that looks a lot like Natalie, but it isn't Natalie. Yeah, that was just dis- like disturbing in like the I, fun horror movie way. Yeah, but like, oh my Ooh. god! I mean, we can talk about that scene, but oh yeah, there's so much where she wants to explore her sexuality. She wants mm-hmm. to feel pleasure, but these influences her mother wants to keep her in this state of innocence that's where i felt torn about this you know sexual journey because yeah the mother's trying to keep her as a child young and innocent but then the director of her company is trying to get her to be sexual yeah so i'm like that's where i feel torn about her journey where it's like uh she's not really having any positive mentorship in that arena so it feels like even mila mila is like very sexy yeah but she also kind of feels a little bit dangerous uh yeah Yeah. that's a definitely uh you know interpreting like black swan activity or adulthood Mm -hmm. as being like (laughs) like uh, kissing (laughs) someone in a gross nightclub or you know spiking your drink like i I know like I, that's where I'm like, what represents what? Like, if you're just thinking of the like, text of this, like, <laughs> obviously, in any scenario in which a supervisor or anyone who's, let's imagine, Kristen, a world, well, unfortunately, we do live in this world, but, like, yeah. let's imagine your supervisor at work saying some of the things that Vincent Cassell says. I know. Like, that, it would be total. I mean, absolutely grounds for, <laughs> for being fired. Because he says, <laughs> right. like... He, well, first of all, he sexually assaults her. He kisses mm-hmm. her forcibly. And she bites him and is justified in doing that. Yeah. He does that. He tells her to touch herself. Can you imagine oh, your boss telling you to touch yourself? Like that, yeah, like, oh, go home, touch yourself. No. Or, or when he says to Natalie's future husband <laughs> or partner, I don't know if, I don't know if they're married, but the male dancer who's dancing the part of the, the prince. Like, uh, Natalie's character Nina is in rehearsal with the the prince, the male dancer, and then Vincent Cassell is there, you know, coaching them through it. But he's really frustrated with Nina, and then he just stops. He's like, oh, you know, he's very frustrated. And then he says, or he asks the male dancer in front of Natalie Portman's character, "Would you fuck her?" I know. I mean, could you imagine in any <sighs> professional scenario in which that would? happen oh or, or like where you wouldn't immediately be fired yeah, right. so like yeah. if you just look at this on like a textual level it's yeah. extremely upsetting but i chose to read it as again this is a this movie is about the themes for me and it's all right. about it's it's all about i was gonna say all about eve but it's all it's about a- <laughs> and i mean that's a great movie to watch to pair mm. with this movie Big great oh, double yeah, yeah but but it's it's all about nina like this is her yeah. story so i i choose to I don't choose to read the film literally. It's just more about what these, these characters represent for her. And uh, Brandon from Brandon Likes Movies, like the takeaway <laughs> quote from his review talking about uh, the director, he said, uh, this man is just a walking HR violation. Yeah. 
He is. And Vincent Cassell is so he's so good as being so he's disgusting. so good at being a terrible oh pet. Gross. No, he's... I think yeah, you're ab- yeah. you're spot on. You know, <laughs> I I think you're right. Um, oh yeah, so a great double billing, double feature, which I think Darren Aronofsky talked about all about Eve being an influence, all about uh, Eve, a great movie to watch with this, mm-hmm. but also Clouds of Seals Maria. That's another film oh, which I, I I'd love to that. cover with you. Juliette Binoche, one of her favorites. I like her. And Kristen Stewart and then Chloe Grace Moretz are in the, oh, oh, this wow. movie that's very all about Eve. And then Mulholland Drive, I think, would be another good one to watch okay. with with this one. Here. Oh, oh, pairing like different wines that go well with this. Yeah, <laughs> I think Mul- I think Mulholland Drive and Black Swan would be a great double feature. Mm. Which I think I think eventually we will cover Mulholland cool. Drive. Yeah, where were we? I can't I, remember. Well, I do want to bring up Emily. Um, bring us back if you remember. But okay, I do want to bring out the visual motifs. Okay, uh, I really really appreciated. Uh, you know, Nina, at the beginning of the film, she's dressed in white. Uh, she really represents the white swan. You know, she mm-hmm. even has a scarf that's all fluffy that kind of looks like feathers. Yeah, yeah. And fast forward to later in the film when Nina's in the club with Mila Kunis. Mm-hmm. And she puts on the black tank top. Like, she's starting to embrace the black yeah, swan. She uh, yeah, so, th- like, they definitely used costuming and visuals mm-hmm. to their advantage that... Oh, I, I really appreciated that. I thought that was well done. So many elements of this film, they're just beautiful. Like the, mm-hmm. the wonderful cinematography, the score. Cinematography was Matthew Libatik and Clint Mansell. He he couldn't be nominated because it was drawing so heavily from Tchaikovsky's score. Oh, <laughs> but sucks. it's a great score. Yeah. It's a great score. And the sound design is amazing. Yeah, tell us movie. more about that because you... Yeah. Oh, it's so good. This film is very visceral. You can hear when different things are happening. You can feel it ooh, in your body. And a part of that is the sound design. You know, when she's like picking, like picking at her skin mm-hmm. and her nails. And then when she's when she's transforming into the black swan, that sound design is it's to die for. It it's is. so good. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, this movie. And there's like... um. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to describe, but you know when Nina's kind of having episodes where she kind of mm-hmm. sees herself or things. There's like, there's sound these, effects. That these let weird you know sound effects put up. you on edge. It's mm-hmm. it's terrific sound design. I love it, and it really helps make the film what it is. Just like hearing the feet against the stage. Yeah, the dance, thunk, the breath thunk, thunk, of the actors. Thunk. Yeah, and you can hear like how hard this work is. Yeah. It's not natural what ballet dancers do, which is. I know it's so wild because they make it look so effortless. Beautiful. I mean, it is that, it's that intense. metaphor of the of the swan, beautiful <gasps> yeah. gliding on the surface, but below the surface they are working. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's not natural when you see. I love that bit in the movie where Nina is training with her coach. That woman is definitely a dancer. Mm. Like you can tell just her body. If you see a ballet dancer's body, it's superhuman it really is like it's not it looks alien almost it doesn't look natural because it's not it's not natural to be in that kind of physical condition and to do the things that ballet dancers do it's incredible day in day out and then some of them some of these women dance into their 40s it's incredible and you can imagine the emotional toll of aging and what that would be like as a dancer because your body you can't do that you cannot do it 
indefinitely, right? Yeah, I think about um, mm-hmm. athletics, you know, I think about gymnastics. Athletes too? Yeah. yeah, like it's mm-hmm. kind of, you're really putting your body through something and and then the artistic aspect of it like there's it's mm-hmm. such an art form combined with the physicality like that it's pretty incredible i guess that's one great thing about acting is that you can keep doing it forever yeah <laughs> i mean the part you're not going to be doing the same parts but at least when you look at the evolution of a career if you look at more mature actresses you know like meryl streep or helen mirren or you know women that have been acting you know since the late 60s it's like right. they're still doing it and they've only gotten better. <laughs> so, yeah. at, you know, at least there's one art form where you can keep going. But just watching the rigorous discipline, self-dispunishing regimen that these women put themselves through, it's just, it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> it's a little bit, and you know that they start so, so young. I know. Even when you think about, you know, pianists or violinists, your hands can only do that for so long, mm-hmm. right? And you can't replace your hands. <laughs> so when you think about people who do this day in day out scales arpeggios over and over and over and over and over again it's like at some point your hands are gonna give out and that is kind of like a horror it is a horror film (laughs) i know that kind of ties into like the fleeting nature of life though like if you kind of i mean deep thoughts here you know we we all die someday so there's a time limit on what we can do accomplish achieve so then that's kind of mirrored in our careers, right? Um, and so it makes it bittersweet or all mm-hmm. the more sweet, you could even say, of just being like, since this isn't going to last forever, you really have to connect and enjoy what you're doing. Don't mm-hmm. take it for granted. Like, you have to understand that mm-hmm. nothing lasts forever. That's that's something that I've really stepped into as I've gotten older uh, to just try to enjoy your life more and yeah yeah, and so but it it can also on the other side of that coin can get toxic (laughs) like (laughs) if you're like uh, I'm hell-bent on being the lead dancer in Mm -hmm. Swan Lake and that's all I get it yeah like what does that mean then what like yeah right (laughs) which is maybe why that's why her character figuratively dies in the end Mm -hmm. she's like I've done it I've accomplished my life's purpose. I can die now. So wild. Yeah. Feels like a Lana Del Rey song. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Um, I just Googled, do you remember Misty Copeland? She's the first black female principal dancer with the American Ballet Theater. What what about her? Um, Well, I was just thinking about, Mm -hmm. like, we've talked about how ballet is such an, it's been around for hundreds of years. Like, it's such an old art form. And just how wild the body expectations are the Mm -hmm. because you talked about how the you know the form it's just not natural there's an interview with natalie where she talks about how it really depends on the company like some companies are very toxic in their body image where you have that stereotypical wayfish woman who dances and it just their bodies are treated with like starvation deprivation and then there's other companies that where you you know you're have hips and a bust and you're just more womanly yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so there's i think there's a lot of body challenges in this art form and so i just i remember when misty copeland became the principal dancer and how everyone's Mm -hmm. like she's the first black dancer but i i there there's so far for this art form to go Mm -hmm. if as far as inclusion like is there room for different Mm -hmm. skin types body types heights 
in classic ballet. Like I, and obviously to me, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> but as an industry and as a system as a whole, is there? I don't know. And especially if it's going to break you as hard as it broke oh Nina. <laughs> That's made me think again of that interview with Natalie talking about dancers being referred to as girls, yeah. starving themselves so they don't have hips or breasts. Quite girlish, waifish. She also talked about their voices. She said, why do all these dancers have baby voices? Mm. Something she picked up on. And and then she said that even in her own career, she talked about the, the famous director Mike Nichols telling her to see a voice coach because he told her she sounded like a little girl. Wow. I think when people ask, everyone... I think because they think I'm sort of a good girl, they think the black swan is like the big, um, you know, transformation. Tra- <laughs> 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 Again, secrets. Um, but the really hard part was going back because I so wanted to leave that little girl voice behind. You know, um, Nichols for years was trying to get me. Mike Nichols was After trying. You to, did the, what was um, we did the Close seagull up, right. together yeah, right, on yeah. stage, and from then on, he was getting me to voice coaches all the time. He said, "You to have to get, get rid that- of." get rid of your little girl voice he's like you talk like a child get rid of it and he had me like was constantly giving me that feedback like you need to fix your voice (laughs) and um and so it was hard for me to go back because it felt like a regression but it was also i got to put my whole 20s into it you know that whole experience of getting out of that voice into the part yeah so so apparently mike nichols so she did the seagull she did the famous play the seagull for that play, I think she was playing the part of the, the young woman in that, mm. so a teenage girl. Probably was appropriate for her to speak with more of a childlike voice in that, but I think he told her that she should probably see a voice coach because she she spoke very much like a child. So I'm like, oh, wow, she might have been seeing some of herself in this Nina character. Yeah. <laughs> and when you listen to Natalie speak, she is very soft-spoken. Like a delicate. She's, she yeah. comes up is very sweet like a very sweet person i'd say she is an outspoken person but like the her manner of speaking is very soft yeah she has a very very sweet voice but you can watch her filmography all the way back to when she was in leon the professional and yeah of course she had a voice of a child because she was was so (laughs) and maybe she was playing younger parts for a while but yeah I'm, i'm wondering how much of herself did she see in this story right or in this character maybe that plays into that meta casting let's talk so i do i want to talk about natalie and mila's characters and their relationship but also i want to talk about like our credo as well yeah can we talk about lily and what does she represent and so in the marketing for this movie and even in the trailer it kind of makes it seem like this is about their rivalry slash sexual relationship (laughs) doesn't Mm. it what do you think yeah, it, they definitely, I, I would agree with that, actually. But I, I guess my thoughts go to, like, my dismay that apparently that sexual encounter was all in Nina's head. I was so sad for Nina. <laughs> oh, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> but that's another, okay, so there are moments in this movie that are funny, so there's the part where obviously she's masturbating and she turns around and her mom is asleep, yeah. like ho- horrifying slash hilarious. <laughs> but then we have the scene where she comes home. So okay, yeah, Lily Mila Kunis's character spiked her drink with ecstasy. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. And she comes home and she's like high as a kite. Um, 
But Natalie is so funny in that scene where she comes home and her mom is just pissed and she says, like, well, what have you been doing or something? And she goes, well, I don't remember their names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and then I think her mom is like, are you oh, drunk? And, she, and Natalie goes, ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's so good. I mean, that, that part is actually funny, but also disturbing. And again, it's her mom being angry because she's been sexual. Yeah, I, just like being an adult, <laughs> having her own schedule and her own time. Like, and own having choices. sex and yeah. drinking and, and she's a grown woman, right? But... That part was, I think, that had funny elements to it. And then when she <laughs> goes to Mila the next, Mila Kunis, Lily the next day, and is like, wait, are we going to talk about what happened? How we had sex? I, I don't think she even says had sex, but... Yeah, right, right. Lily immediately is like, wait. Hey. Look, he just wanted to know we can't and ask me to step in, okay? I overslept. Uh, oops. Well, hey, at least you had a good time, right? Well, you were delaying my drink. Yeah. And then you just took off in the morning. In the morning? Yeah, you slept over. Um, no. Unless your name is Tom and you got a dick. <laughs> what were you what, Nina? Did you have some sort of Leslie wet dream about me? Stop. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You did. You fantasized about me. Shut up. Was I good? <laughs> She's like, you had a Leslie wet dream about me? <laughs> oh, did she say that? I don't remember. She did. It's quote. really funny. She goes, wait, did you have a Leslie wet dream about me? And then <laughs> Natalie is so embarrassed and yeah. then runs away and Lily goes, wait, was I good? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And then at the end, when she, when she stabs Mila Kunis and it turns out to not be Mila Kunis, it's so goofy. Like when she drags her body away, like that has... Like, I was listening to another podcast about this this movie, and they were like, oh, yeah, that got a lot of laughs in the theaters. <laughs> really? That like surprises the, me. Like, when she, she, like, drags her by the legs. And it's just really goofy looking. Like, it's mm. just looks, it looks slapstick. <laughs> it seems goofy, like, almost like Looney Tunes, just the way she. And Drags her, like, off, off still. And it's, and it's so unwieldy. It's mm. just funny. And, like, another silly thing that made me laugh, and I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but the creepy bird monster. You know, oh, yeah. the thing, it's such, I mean, it's just a dancer in a oh, suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, like, walks backstage, and um, Nina's having, like, an existential crisis. She's having, like, a meltdown, and the bird monster just walks by and goes, hey. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and, I, I mean, there are moments of just right. absurdity in this movie. I, but, like, yeah, and I'm so glad that we've talked about that, because I was obviously, like, yeah. internally screaming while I was watching the whole thing, so I, I like, <laughs> totally missed it, but... I'm so glad oh you pointed my God. those out. Funny. So yeah, there's like some silly funny moments. But yeah. um, oh, but no, the character of Lily. I think Mila Kunis is great in this movie. Oh yeah, she did she's great. So good. She's so sexy and like mm-hmm. dangerous. Just like which casual I think she's, and in her own skin. But like cool. Like yeah. she's cool and sexy. And she comes in and she's from like what San Francisco. So she's like West Coast. Mm. She like comes in with her earbuds in and her t- and like tattoos. <laughs> Good of you to join us. Sorry. Girls, this is Lily. Straight up the plane from San Francisco. She's filling Rebecca's old spot. Hey. Get warmed up. No, it's okay. I'm good. Vincent Casella's like, uh, are you, you know, you're gonna warm up? And she's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um just the opposite 
of um, Nina, who's so uptight, just wound up, you know, yeah, and uh, very rigid, right? There's, you know, the character of of Lily that comes in, and and then there's the part where Natalie's watching her rehearse. Watch the way she moves. Imprecise, but effortless. She's not faking it. Basically, she's everything I want you to be when when you're the black swan. And Nina is just watching her with jealousy, but also lust. Mm, (laughs) That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Curiosity. Oh, that God, that just reminds me, Kristen. So, speaking of, like, getting older, just, like, the songs on the radio, the Top 40 stuff, where I'm like, I don't know who these people are. (laughs) But, like, uh, um, there's a song that's on, I'm not kidding, I think it's on, like, every 10 minutes, just on loop, because I've been driving around a lot more, as in, I've been preparing to move, so. That's right. Anyone listening who cares, (laughs) I'm moving from Michigan to Arizona, so there's been a lot of prep work of the house, and so I've been spending a lot of time in the car driving around, back and forth, and this song, I swear to God, it's on every five to ten minutes. What's it called? The singer is Tate McRae. Do you know who that is? No. She must be another one of these, like, Olivia Rodrigo types, Mm. where it's just like, oh, I'm like, whatever, 15 (laughs) 15 years older than all these people at this (laughs) point. But the song is like, she's, it's called like, she's everything, she has everything that I have. Oh God, I sound so oh, stupid. What is this? Is it kind of moody? Um... What, no, 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 what is this song? Oh, it's called She's All I Want to Be. And it's so catchy and it's on every five to ten minutes. Um, she's all I want to be. Okay. Da, da. Yeah, and 17 million and, views for the YouTube video. Yeah, so and in, just in the amount of time it's been on the radio, I have this damn song. It's, <laughs> it's an earworm, but I was listening yeah. to it, and and this is young girl singing, right? And it feels mm-hmm. kind of like a teen, like a teeny, like a oh my god, I was about to say teeny popper, <laughs> but like te- <laughs> like 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 bubblegum pop yep. song. she's talking about how she's talking about this other girl that how perfect this other girl is Mm. and how she could never be this girl and she's competing for i guess her her boyfriend or whatever and in the video it's she and the girl are having a dance off oh (laughs) my gosh and in the end and i was like oh haha black swan because i was like getting ready to do this (laughs) recording and and then in the end neither of them get chosen and they walk off the stage together and it's another girl but i was like ah and i was thinking wow there's a fine line between envy and lust like a very very fine very blurry line where it's like Mm -hmm. what point does envy just become lust Lust. where you're lusting after this girl Mm. because it seems that way in that song i'm like this seems very sexual like Mm. you have you like the same thing with jolene dolly partman uh, dolly partman (laughs) cheryl canning she looked gray that's carol chen it's cheryl canning is that not it Dolly, Dolly Parton singing about Jolene and how beautiful Jolene is. And I was like, this seems like you have a thing for Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. Such a cool. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, Nina, she's lusting 
hard after mm-hmm. Lily, but she's also very envious and very insecure. Caesar's yeah. arrival, but, but also lusts after her. Well, it didn't help that the company director, like, specifically did that to her. Mm-hmm. Like, be like her. It's like, uh. <laughs> And you're the person giving me everything that I want, so I'm going to try and please you. Yeah, I'm going to be like her, but also has sexual feelings for her as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's she's sexually attracted to Lily in a way she is, I feel like she is repulsed by Vincent Cassell's character. Uh, Nina is? Yeah, Nina. And Lily, Lily says he's gross, too. Yeah. But for sure, you can feel like she is lusting after Lily from, like, the second she sees her. She represents, yeah. like, the possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the parts of herself she wants to embrace yeah. and enjoy, right, and pleasure. Because mm-hmm. um, Lily is all about pleasure. She, When they go out to eat, she's, like, she's eating a burger, which is, like, mm. when you see a ballerina eating <laughs> eating a hamburger, right? Yeah. Or And she's drinking and doing drugs and having sex. This character kind of represents hedonism and just pleasure. That scene when they're in the cab and, oh, again, yeah, she... Did this happen? Yeah. Did it? Did it happen? Right. I, I, like, or it's like, did it? Because we know she didn't actually go home with her, but they probably rode the rode the cab together, right? Yeah, at least at um, some point. Yeah. And she, you know, Lily Mila Kunis's character comes on to her hard mm-hmm. in the car. She likes, you know, she moves her. She kind of dances her finger up her leg and then starts touching her. And Nina likes it, but mm-hmm. she stops it right she just yeah. puts an end to it and it's just like okay so i think you can see she really wants she wants to engage there mm-hmm. but she's still kind of oppressing herself but then you know, eventually in that scene which i feel probably was controversial when she ends up having sex with lily mm-hmm. I, there's a lot going on in that scene <laughs> yeah it's so the way it's shot with um, barbara hershey when it's so good natalie comes in and she's high and drunk. Where have you been? Mila Kunis is there, but at no point does Barbara Hershey acknowledge her. Ah, yep. Which you don't, I didn't notice the first time around. Yeah, she doesn't acknowledge her once. So but, you're like, yeah. oh, she's not there. I've been drinking. Zing. What else have you been doing? And then you see there's this awesome shot where it's just a quick glancing shot of Mila Kunis in the mirror. That's mm-hmm. um, so good. And again, that sound design, it's so scary. Yeah. It's so startling. And then, Yeah, it's really good at being like, something's going on here, but you sound, don't really know what it something's is. Something's <laughs> not right. Something's yeah. not right here. And then she, yeah, she gets into that physical altercation with her. We need to sleep this off. There is you, there is Tom, there is Jay. Be quiet, Nina. And I'm Shut your mouth! (gasps) Yeah, is this when she's slamming the door? No, yeah, she does slam it, but it's not when she slams her fingers. Okay, because that was like, I know, I, oh, I like wanted to, I scream when I saw that. But um, she, Mila Kunis is there, but is she? But she is. She's there, and then Natalie is fighting with her her mother and then she, you see Mila Kunis like in her room mm-hmm. right and 
and then she's kind of like hovering behind Natalie for a bit as her mom is like screaming at her. Don't come in here. Splitters. It's called privacy. I'm not 12 anymore. It's really weird. Like, yeah. so she's just there, and she's. I think she has like her arms wrapped around Natalie. But then finally, Nina just slams the door. And does she jam the thing? I think the yeah, that pole. What was that thing? Like a metal pole. And at this point, has she gotten rid of all the stuffed animals? I think it's when she slams the door in her mom's hand that she rips all oh. the stuffed animals. Right? Okay. Or... I don't, I don't know, but she yeah, because this is when they have sex. So she like slams the or door. She I'm puts wrong. the pole up. Yeah, uh, and then she turns around, and Mila Kunis is looking hot as hell. Like yes, she turns around, yeah. she's so goddamn sexy. And uh, she just like runs over to her, and like, <laughs> I mean, the way she kisses her, it's explosion. insane. It's insane. Yeah. the way the way Natalie or Nina kisses Lily, it's like you feel how much she wanted to do that. Yeah, she and then I think she's wearing white. No, wait, are they both wearing black? Yeah, yeah. Are they both in black? Because okay, Mila Kunis's character Lily is wearing black lingerie. That that's another thing where I was like, oh, this feels very much like a fantasy. Mm, gotcha. I think when I think when they went out to that club, they were just in you know jeans Tank or jeans. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't wearing. But yeah, but then in this scene, she is. They're both wearing like garters, <laughs> and I was like, this is very much a fantasy mm. i feel like i don't when would she be wearing garters why would you have garters on with jeans <laughs> <laughs> Just but no they I, they furiously make out yeah it's very it's very very sexy it's and, on ramp stuff yeah oh and yeah yeah i think this scene really made a splash like for 10 years ago in mainstream oh. media with like, these two like <gasps> Well, and I think that's a reason. Maybe is that one reason the film made so much is people just wanted to see this scene. That's so wild to think about. Uh huh. It was. I mean, it's Natalie Portman, and yeah. she was very much in, in the interview. She talked about her being the good girl and always playing uh, the good girl. Yeah. And then she has this movie where she does this, mm-hmm. and it's you know these are two well-known young, very attractive women in this sex scene. So yeah, you can see why this would make a splash. But yeah, the way the scene is shot, it's not graphic like you don't see it's not. you're right mm-hmm. i don't think they get naked i think she you see that she, lily pushes her onto the bed and rips her under her off but mm-hmm. you don't see any you don't see anything but then you see that oh the tattoo i feel like you would like this part oh uh the tattoo uh, lily's back tattoos like, yeah to life did, yeah. did you like did you like that i thought that was cool yeah <laughs> i thought you would i thought you would yeah her her wing tattoos right so she, we can see that she's going down on Nina. Mm-hmm. Like we, we know that's what's happening, and we see that Nina's really enjoying it. But then, doesn't she? She looks up, and then Lily's transformed into another woman. Yeah. But wh- who was it though? I, I've been. I looked at some comments, and some people think it was the mother's face. Some people think it was just almost like a not demonic but just like this uh unreal that's the word an unreal face and yeah when you look at it it almost looks like natalie's face but they warped it a little bit okay yeah because i was like is this just like 
CGI of the time to not do Yeah, job, I don't know. But, but it looks like Natalie, but almost like an amalgam of Natalie and Winona ooh. and maybe Barbara Hershey. But mm. it's like weird. And it but it's only for like a second. Yeah. And then she It's it's I, unsettling. Yeah, very yeah. and then she like she like oh she you know, she startles and then I think Lily like pushes her back down at the bed, throws her down, and makes out with her a little bit, and mm. then she goes down at her, she climaxes and then and then she looks back up and <laughs> it's like Lily is kneeling over her and then says and then like puts a pillow over her face oh yeah oh my god it was hot and disturbing which is <laughs> probably what they're going you know right. I think so I, I want to ask you, Emily. So thinking yeah. about this in terms of like yeah. gazes, because we've talked, yeah. we we're both big fans of you know, especially the way Celine Siama, who directed Portrait, Portrait of a Could lady. you imagine? Could you imagine her take on Black Swan? What yeah. would it look like? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Right. That's a great yeah. question. But yeah, yeah, like, do you do you feel it's voyeuristic? Do you hmm. feel because you you mentioned that fantasy aspect? It was a as, fantasy. As, so is it, it was Nina's fantasy? Is it Darren's male? fantasy? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, it could be, I think it's worth exploring a little bit. I think it was deliberately shot as a fantasy, and it was Nina's fantasy. Mm. So I don't know if you can separate that from, is this the director's fantasy? Mm. Like, uh, impossible to tell. But when I was listening to, I always want to shout out the podcast when I'm listening to yeah. it. But I can't remember if this was the one... I think it's called Piece of Pie. Piece of Pie, the queer film podcast, and it's they always do two films together. So mm. I think they I think they did do Black Swan and All About Eve. But they talked about and I'm sorry if I'm getting the podcast wrong. I listen to so many movie podcasts, but um <laughs> but they talked about this particular scene. And it was it was gay men discussing the film, so it wasn't coming from a female perspective of, mm. you know, discussing this scene. But uh, uh, they talked about how they felt that this the way this was shot, they felt was more voyeuristic than another love scene in Carol, which I don't think you've seen Carol. Mm -hmm. Beautiful movie. Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, directed by Todd Haynes, so, which maybe maybe we'll cover that one. So that is a lesbian love story based on a novel, The Price of Salt, that came out in, I want to say the 50s. Yeah, it's about these two women that fall in love. And that film, there is total nudity. Like, you see all of Rooney Mara's body. Mm -hmm. But when the when these podcasters were discussing that scene, that sex scene versus this one, they were saying this one, even though you don't see anything, they thought it still felt more voyeuristic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Than than the scene where you see total a woman's entire nude body. Wow. They thought felt yeah. felt more reverent, almost mm. like I, I I'm not sure. So, I mean, how did you feel about the scene? Oh, I know. I like your thoughts. I'm not sure. I. My overall impression was just that this was such a big moment for Nina. Yes. Um, and so it, I do agree. It does, there's an element of shock factor, and mm -hmm. um, it's obviously not <laughs> a part of a story that's like <laughs> loving and tender by any means. No, it's not portrait. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I try to weigh all of these different factors. Um, mm hmm. I there's a certain sense of tabooness to it 
that I don't like. Um, Do you think that goes part and parcel with the story, though? Because her mother has tried to keep her as a child. Yeah. So she's already, like for Nina, I think sex is taboo for Nina just because of Mm -hmm. how how repressed she is and how her mother has tried to keep her as this chaste (laughs) innocent child so you know i think that feeling of tabooness is an extension of the character Mm -hmm. if if that's yeah the reading like like an act of rebellion so i get that i just think Mm -hmm. you just can't divorce the story from the real audience and so as you know it's a movie that has to make money (laughs) like i think uh you kind of can't divorce the fact that it's a commodity as well mm-hmm. so i'm just sensitive to that um so i i don't know if i have one specific feeling or one specific answer but um i definitely uh i definitely think this was like you know nina you know she's been building up to it like in the bathtub in her bed having her trying to foray into the world of pleasure having this full-blown sexual experience or so she thought <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really important for the character's oh, was, development. I think it was it was essential. This yeah. wasn't gra- it wasn't gratuitous. It was essential that's to right. the story. And I it, think that's yeah. my biggest uh, factor that I weigh in because mm-hmm. so often major films have just gratuitous sex. It just makes it has nothing to do with the story. Right, right. <laughs> this was actually essential. This was to, essential to Nina's yeah. character, her development for sure. Yeah, but yeah, the scene. I feel it was. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm, right. Like, so I can't really, I do remember how it made me feel though, which was yeah, like this sense of terror, excitement, mm. and also it's very sexy. So it's it like, is. Uh, I was like, get it girl. <laughs> I, it was extremely hot. So yeah. it was um, very, it was provocative in many senses of the word. Yeah. Like it was scary. It was thrilling. And very, very sexy. Mm-hmm. So I think those are just the feelings that I had. And, and again, I was feeling... <laughs> again, Kristen, what is the female gaze? Like, you're, you're feeling with the female character? Yeah. Like, I was feeling Nina's excitement. Like, it mm. really is an explosion of desire. Like, yeah. it feels like it is a dam bursting when she runs over there and yeah. just grabs Lily mm-hmm. and just lays one on her. It's just like, wow, you really wanted to do that. <laughs> It feels good. It feels like such a release. She's making the choice. Yeah, yeah. And she, for, and I think, in, really, for the first time in the movie, she is the active agent. <laughs> yes. Good point. Yeah. She grabs her and mm-hmm. just lays into her, and, 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 and yeah, she initiates. So I was like, wow, that's really great to see her take initiative. Yeah, and what take, she wants. And go for what she wants, and it is what she wants mm-hmm. because she 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 initiates there. So I was like, wow, it's great to see Nina like come into her own, yeah. um, and take pleasure for herself. So, yeah, I think there it was satisfying in a number of ways that scene, on a character level, of her asserting herself, of of expressing her desires and fulfilling mm-hmm. her desires as well. It's it was really important for her. Right. But it was also very unsettling at the same time. So. I know. <laughs> <laughs> kind oh, of the entire yeah. the entire movie. It's, it's the, yeah, it's a very unsettling movie. No moment of rest. Yeah. No. Not at all. Unsettling, but it's erotic. Yeah, it's a movie that has you kind of on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely put. For sure. Yeah. I guess, should we talk about favorite parts? Yeah. Favorite parts, favorite lines. 
Would you like to go first? I, I would say, Emily, we might have a mutual favorite line. <laughs> that we keep texting each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, you have to say it, though. You say it so good. I'm the swan queen! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the... Oh, it's so good. It's the height of the moment of competition between her and her mom of being like, you're oh. the has-been, I am the moment. Well, I and she is the moment. And <laughs> That's just like that, <laughs> that Wendy Williams thing. She's an icon. Yes. And, so, legend, and yeah. she is the she is the moment. I am oh. the swan queen. Emily. Well, I th- I think she says, "I can't," and then she goes, "I'm the swan queen. You're the one who never left the core." Oh, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and storms out. It's so, so good. damn good. Is that oh? Is that after she had slammed her fingers in the door? Oh, I don't. I th- because her mom is like Barbara Hershey is like screaming. She's like, "No!" Yeah. And then I think she's like, "You can't do it. It's too much." And then and then I think that's when Natalie yells, "I'm the Swan Queen." <laughs> or no, she says like, "I can't. I'm the Swan Queen. You're the one who never left the call." <laughs> it's it's really good. And I mean, it speaks to nina's state of mind too (laughs) yeah she's she's getting lost in this role Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's just and i mean that was i remembered that was probably the only moment that i chuckled at (laughs) it's 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 like high camp yeah yeah when she she screams when she yells i'm the swan queen Mm -hmm. i I sign a line line like that you can only that's a line that you have to deliver at 11 like you can't it's it's really good and then i think another some other lines are where's my sweet girl she's gone what happened to my sweet girl huh she's gone and then like uh yeah there's so many quotable things but can you play but can you play the black swan i think that's another one uh oh and another one was he picked me mommy people use that as like a silly like a mm. meme that they'll send each other. Like he picked me, mommy. But... That was my favorite scene. Yeah, when she when she goes in the bathroom stall and calls her mom and like like, okay, yeah. Nellie Portman. She's got tears in her eyes. Yeah. she is ecstatic. Like it's just so mm-hmm. well acted. She's but so it also good. is like, oh hell, like she's got a horrible relationship with the mom. Like she it's sounds like a little girl. Yeah, she calls her mommy. I was just like, "Oh, something's wrong." He picked wrong. me, mommy. Yeah. yeah, but it's also you can feel the competition between them there too. I didn't pick up on that until I was listening to the commentary. Yeah. I was like, I didn't pick up on that. I thought she was just yeah. trying to please her mom. Well, and you know, in that interview, that's when I learned, <laughs> or you learned, we learned that Barbara Hershey couldn't be on the set that day. Mm-hmm. So Darren was the one on the phone. Yeah. And that's how they yeah. worked out that competitive. I was like, wow. Thread. Did you yeah, have any I'm... favorite scenes? Probably like the entire ending. Ah, <laughs> like, yes. that's amazing. I mean, yeah, that I, the transformation is just stunning. I could watch that over and over and over mm. again when she transforms into the Black Swan. The score is just orgasmic. Like, it really. <laughs> It really is. When she makes it up, to, I mean, it, it's visually orgasmic as well because she dances to the to the apex, right? So yeah. So she's, liter- she's literally climaxing, and she she's looking out at the audience. I think she sees Barbara Hershey's face out there. Mm-hmm. 
looking distressed. And it's, it's hard to read, really. Yeah. But she's at the top. You see the blood coming out of her. So she's, like, made her transformation, right? And we, right. Darren and Natalie talked about the symbolism of that blood. So she's literally climaxing and then falls back. And it is orgasmic, the release at that point. And mm-hmm. then when she's falling backward, it's this very ethereal music yeah. of her falling backwards in slow motion onto the mattress. It's stunning. I loved it. And then, you know, the, the last 10 seconds or so of the movie of just... to white i just love it so much it's so good it It is is so it's beautiful i'm with you yeah so that whole last 10 to 15 minutes love it love it love it so good and natalie is so good (laughs) she's just so good in this movie the horror loving part of me not horror loving part of me horror (laughs) loving part of me um the the horror (laughs) I loved the scene in the hospital where just went when Nona's in the wheelchair and she starts stabbing herself. Oh my god! That was Ah. definitely a tropey horror moment. So that was that was I was into that. Yeah. Um, Oh my god. Yeah, it was so just like disturbing. So Um, disturbing. Oh yeah. Ah, that just makes me uncomfortable. Like oh yeah, it's uh. There's a lot of body horror in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a very visceral movie in a very literal sense of that word. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of like the fingernails. Oh, yeah. And the, um, oh, like when she slams her mother's finger through the door, she's like, oh my God. Yep. You, it's like, you can feel the shock of that. Mm -hmm. And when she transforms into the swan, like when her legs break backwards, I'm just like, oh my God, this body horror. Like Mm -hmm. it really is body horror. But yeah, it's yes. so good. Oh, God. Definitely definitely one to watch. This one, this film, I think, merits more than one watch, for sure. I think... I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, like, just because I feel satisfied with, like, knowing so much about it by doing research and then talking with you, I feel uh-huh. good. Like, uh-huh. man, like I was saying, that just hit me so strong. Oh. I think maybe, mm-hmm. like in five years or something or you know x amount yeah. of time in the future i think i would like to revisit it uh-huh um, but now no no yeah. not for me but i i really do think yeah. i 
I'm interested to see with age, you know, how yeah. I feel or see it differently, but also how it stands the test of time. I think that'll mm-hmm. be really cool to see. So it's mm-hmm. it's an incredible film. I, yeah. I I think if you're so inclined, definitely watch it. Definitely. Worth a watch for sure. It is. But if you're if you're a little bit more sensitive to some of these issues like me, mm-hmm. maybe watch that Brandon loves movies or just watch someone else funny what? react to it take some of the charge out of it and maybe just try not to watch it as uh textually as as i did yeah literally yes yeah. watch it for more like symbolism and metaphor and things and then just enjoy the craft of the film it's <gasps> yeah. so it's beautiful it's beautifully that's made. a master class in yeah in that so craft. good yeah at acting you know, sound design, mm-hmm. score, direction. It's beautifully made film. So, yeah, those were kind of, the, yeah, favorite parts, favorite lines. I think, should we talk about our, our credo here? Sure. So I think this is a good place to bring us up. So, you know, when con- conceiving, it sounds so pretentious, but like, con- you know, conceiving <laughs> of this podcast. I mean, there are many film podcasts, and there are at least a couple that are specifically about movies about women. Feminist Brain. So that's hmm. a, that's a podcast. What well, it sounds like, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's it's movies through a feminist lens, and and they cover many many movies. I think our podcast is called Female Driven, but right. what does that mean? All, okay, all the movies are about women, right? Or or girls. I'm making deliberate efforts to find movies that are written, directed, produced by women. But you know, not every film that we cover is going to fall into those categories, mm-hmm. right? Like this film, this film we discussed black swan the director is a man the the story is was written by men right the it was produced by men but it is a female driven movie and when we say female driven we're talking about films about women in which the female characters drive the story right Mm. the films we cover may or may not have exclusively female writers and directors many will but we have in mind sort of as our guiding principle queen celine (laughs) celine siyama we love her so much um wonderful writer director celine siyama whose film whose masterpiece portrait we we talked about at length but she's often talked about her at least when she was making portrait it was her desire to subvert the whole notion of the muse Mm -hmm. she wanted to dismantle the traditional artist muse convention so you know the active male artist the passive female subject in that movie it's about it's a female painter but she has a female subject but we kind of learn throughout the movie that adele's character eloise is not a passive object right she's a subject (laughs) so when there's a movie like this this movie black swan where the driving forces behind the film are all male all men decision makers Yeah. yeah there would be no movie without Natalie. There would be no movie without the women that this movie that this film is about. There'd be no film without them. You can't have a great painting without a great subject and you can't have a great film about women without great women. Mm, I like that. <laughs> At the center. Yeah. And so I mean, when you think about the word actor or actress, yeah, Dune is in the background. My dog Dune, he's angry. He's angry. He's very he's very passionate about the subject. <laughs> he has thoughts. Yeah, but so actor, the word actor, what does that mean? It means you're active. So actors, by the nature and definition of their work, are active in mm-hmm. the stories they're telling and in the characters that they are bringing to life. So to dismiss any film that is not directed by a woman 
just because it wasn't directed by a woman, even if it's about women, I think is to dismiss the great work that these actresses are doing. Right. Right. There, there's oh, no absolutely. film. There's no film without them. You know, we're we're we are discussing films that are about women. Right. There's no film without the women at the center of the film. The ones that are doing the work of of acting, of creating the characters, of interpreting and executing. There's no character. There's no story. There's no vision without women at the center. Right. And we talked about how that collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's is a collaboration. So important. And we also, I think, with films. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the decision makers being men, we definitely examine that. So yeah. we will definitely bring it up and talk about it and mm-hmm. and see how effective <laughs> the females, it, you know, we're, we're aware yeah. of it. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, Emily. That's the foundation of, I think, the podcast. For sure. Mm-hmm. And important, too, to bring up for this movie is that it, was, it really was a collaboration between Natalie and Darren. Yeah. She had creative input, for sure, and a voice and, and say in the direction that this film went and in, and even take by take. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's this great scene in all about Eve. <laughs> so it's another movie that, that is very kind of similar to this. And that I think Aronofsky was inspired by. So there's this scene in all about Eve, which you've seen, right? Right, Kristen? Yes. You've seen all about Eve. Yeah. I have, yeah. So there's this scene between, Margot Channing so you know the great Betty Davis plays Margot Channing in, in that movie where she's this great stage actress but she's in this argument with the playwright and he's yelling at her mm. like he like he's trying to put her in her place by mm-hmm. saying I'm the writer here uh kind of saying like you're nothing like right. you're just a vest like you're a vessel you're just there to express my words mm. <laughs> and she gives it back to him I I can't exactly quote it but he compares her i think he says something like it's about time that the the piano realizes that it isn't the composer or something like that yeah and i was thinking you know for a writer you're really getting your metaphors wrong because (laughs) in in that metaphor he shouldn't have said the piano he should have said the pianist Mm. the composer is nothing without the musician you need someone there to interpret and execute Mm -hmm. composers rely on performers musicians directors writers rely on their actors you can't have one without the The other other. absolutely you have no film kind of absurd to just dismiss the contributions of of these great actresses betty davis in her time how many female directors were there seriously yeah so should we should we dismiss every movie she's been in because it wasn't directed or written by a woman but there's nothing without betty davis those movies are (laughs) she's the one she's 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 doing the legwork there creating the characters and doing that acting and literally connecting the material and the audience and it's a skill i'm acting as much as like i'm thinking of my mom who hates when people refer to acting as their craft like oh, she really? can't sta- <laughs> she can't stand it she thinks it's so pre- it's so pretentious but like it really is a skill not anyone can act let alone act well so it's not like yeah actors are these vessels that are just there to i know <laughs> to, yeah right? they're doing the work and it's hard work it's not easy it's not right. something that just just anyone can do and it's it, i'd say it is a creative art form oh yeah you know, you are creating creating a character, a performance. You're interpreting a text. So much is done behind text. the scenes yeah. that you don't see. Like uh, yeah. Natalie Portman mentioned that for the other Boleyn girl, she she read so many books. Yes. 
yes. on Anne Boleyn. Like, so, and, I, you know, none of that. You really, can't really see. Yeah, you can't you tell can't, that. But yeah. You, yeah. she's trying to be, she's trying to be yeah. her character. Um, and then with, with Black Swan, too, all the training she yeah. did. And all the preparation. And she talked about shooting the film and the preparation she does, which, you know, films are, I don't think, ever really shot in sequence. So no. she, yeah, she talked about how she would oh she would prepare for every scene and really chart the progress of the character so that when she it came time to shoot the scene she knew where she was supposed to be where Nina was supposed to be mentally mm-hmm. emotionally and yeah a lot of work goes into it quick it aside is... you remember the scene mm-hmm. where Nina's in mm-hmm. PT like where they're massaging yeah. her ribs yeah. Natalie Portman for real had an injury a rib injury like a uh, dislocated I didn't know you could do that Ooh. to a rib but that was Natalie Portman's real physical therapy physical session therapy. and aronofsky was like let's film it <laughs> i know i felt that too when mm-hmm. i watched it before i'm glad you brought that up but i remember watching that being like this feels very real and yeah. that's because it was because i was like that woman like her physical therapist i'm like that's not an act she's not acting mm. like that like that's a physical therapist this like the same when you see her dance coach i'm like that is a real dancer but you're right and you can see that natalie is in so much pain, pain. and discomfort yeah. when that physical therapist is working on on her yeah like these uh actors yeah. they're telling stories with their bodies their faces yep. their emotion like you it's so involved and so many sacrifices are made yeah it's uh and creating a performance and if you want to use the word craft right um, i like it yeah certainly not something that just anyone can do mm-hmm. okay like bringing up again <laughs> love of my life at delano like yes that last scene of portrait uh can you do that like <laughs> oh I, I can't right like right can any can any director just do that like i don't <laughs> think so she is bringing that to life oh my god well, is, it, Emily, is it ever is it ever amazing <laughs> think about you and me like how many versions we've recorded of our intro where i just i like <laughs> i cannot say the simplest shortest little lines like no. it really puts into perspective like doing a whole like if you do a two-hour film you're lit all like, the work yeah or, or a stage play or holy yeah. cow yeah and it's just like wow respect I yeah mean, uh, that kind of recall it yeah. is work it yeah. is work and it is i'd say a creative process of creating a character and a story for for the audience it's oh, yeah. really amazing it's magical it really is you know they talk about movie magic it, it really is Dude. when you see something great like this when you see something like you know someone like natalie doing this and all the you know, natalie uh, shout out to all the 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 great acting in this natalie mm-hmm. and mila barbara winona vincent he's um vincent so buddy you're a little too good <laughs> he's too con- he's so convincing <laughs> <laughs> any final black swan thoughts see it if you haven't <laughs> it's insane let us know i know what do you think about it i'd be interested to hear please please share your thoughts and Kristen, can you share our information yes so please give us a, a follow on Instagram or Female Driven Podcast. Engage with us in the comments. Also, you can email us at femaledrivenpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.